Released on Sunday, April 6, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri, This Agile Life, Episode 43. It's just semantics, but semantics mean everything. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Amos King. Good evening, John. Was kind How are you doing a, today? A delayed response there. Are you okay? Yeah, barely. Uh, I'm breathing. It's it's been a it's been a tough day today. Sorry to hear that, Amos. Yeah, well, you know, it'll get managers better. that just don't understand. It'll get better right <laughs> now. Oh, perfect. Also joining me tonight, Lee McCauley. Lee, how are you? I am doing well, John. How are you? I'm wonderful. Couldn't <clears throat> be even a little bit better. Awesome. And if you believe that, I have some swampland to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we have a special guest tonight, J.B. Rainsberger. He's our special guest, and J.B. is looking for clients who need help that more training won't give them. People who need someone to really listen to them and help them with the deep problems that stop them from enjoying their work. Boy, I know what that's like. I think I could use some of J.B.'s help myself. And if you're interested in J.B.'s kind of help, you can visit his website, help.jbrains.ca. And tell him how he can help. JB, welcome to this Agile Life. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's wonderful to have the chance to come and talk to you guys. Well, we are quite pleased that you were able to join us. And I know we had kind of a scheduling snafu once before. Did you guys ever have the big snowstorm that you were anticipating? It was not as bad as they uh, had forecast, but uh, we are, I think we've had just shy of three feet of snowfall in the last five days, and so it was it was not terrible, but the city, I think, has spent about three full days mostly shut down in the last week. Uh, good for the kids in school, I guess. We had 11 inches this winter, and it shut down like the state. For months. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! This is this has been a proper winter, and uh, I, I'm hoping that this is the death throes. I don't know that I can really handle another two foot snowfall. Oh, <laughs> where are you at up in Canada? Uh, this is lovely downtown Summerside, Prince Edward Island, and uh, because nobody knows where that is, find Boston in the map in your head, and go several hundred miles northeast. Uh, I like to tell people that we're due east of the northern tip of Maine. That's probably the easiest way to picture it, because there's really no other useful landmark to compare it with. My geography sucks. I think you live in <laughs> Greenland. <laughs> I, I'll bet you that if you drew a line from Boston to Greenland, I'd be about 40% of the way. <laughs> okay. Maybe right less. I, it could be awfully distorted. I mean, Newfoundland's northeast of us, and it's an awfully big place compared to us. So <laughs> we're just this teeny tiny little island with uh, 120,000 people. All right. Well, let's let's jump into the discussion now that we've established JB's proximity to us on our on our giant landmass here. We're just getting some geolocation data down. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody, ping their GPS coordinates to me <laughs> right now. The NSA has it now. Perfect. <laughs> Tonight, we wanted to talk with JB about a, a recent article that he wrote titled Reports of Agile's Death, Yada Yada. That certainly got our attention, 
and it uh, it got the attention of one Angela Harms, who we had on the show. She kind of brought the the article to our attention, and she said, "Oh, you guys have to read this. You you really need to talk to Joe uh, JB, as, as she called you, Joe JB, and uh, you really need to have him on the show and talk with him about this." So sure enough, here we are. About 19 days later, we finally got around to have you on the show so we could talk through this with you. So what triggered this article? I think I kind of know, but I want to hear it from you. Well, the, the proximate trigger for me writing that now was Dave Thomas's recent article, uh, Agile is Dead, or whatever he called it. And I want to really make it clear right off the bat that I, I like Dave. I don't know him well. I have a lot of respect for his work. He's had a huge influence in my career, his books, and his the whole pragmatic press thing has been a huge boon to my career uh, and my life, and I owe a lot to him and the other group of people who were involved in the, the Snowbird meeting in 2001 that gave us the term Agile. That's the primary reason why his article, Proclaiming the Word Agile Dead, triggered me to write what I wrote. It's easy to shrug off people making pronouncements like that when you don't care what they have to say. But when it's somebody whose opinion you respect an awful lot, on the one hand, I find it surprising and not surprising. And I just, I wanted to, I wanted to say something about it. Not so much because I think his idea is off the rails. I think he had, he has a lot of good things to say on the topic. What didn't sit well with me was the idea that, well, let me say it more. You can tell there's a little bit of an emotion behind this issue. I I didn't think it was such a nice thing for him to salt the earth so nothing new could grow. The way that he presented his ideas, I had no problem with until he made it sound like, I'm telling you, I'm one of the guys who coined the term Agile. I'm telling you the word Agile has no more value. It kind of felt like somebody leaving a burning building and shutting the door so nobody else could get out. And uh, I didn't like that. And so I, that kind of disappointed me a bit, and that led me to articulate perhaps more clearly some of the things that I've been saying over the last few years. This is by no means a new idea for me. Tim Ottinger and his I Want Agile Back and the Take Back Agile movement, for whatever it's worth, have, has come up over the last several weeks. Tim and I have talked about this a lot. When an idea that we have, that we love, that we promote is failing to get the results we wanted, there are really two ways to go. You can either abandon the name because it's not working, or you can fight for the name because you think it has value. And I'm cool with the people who want to abandon the word Agile, who don't use it anymore. I've worked with plenty of people where the word Agile has never come up, and yet the ideas are still there. But that doesn't mean... I don't like the idea of trampling over it on the way out and hurting essentially the marketing engines that pe- that some people have come to rely on. And I'm one of those people. I mean, the, the word agile helps people find me. I am not really interested in completely reinventing my marketing plan because Dave Thomas woke up one morning and decided that he had no use for that anymore. So all that is sort of the reason why uh, I felt it it really poured out of me in this way this time. JB, in your article, you use the word shibboleth. Is that how you pronounce it? I assume it's shibboleth. Shibboleth. Uh, but I've actually never heard anyone else say that word before, so I'm, I'm just going by how it looks. There, there you go. I gave it a crack. I don't, we'll see how, how well you can, people can let us know if we got it wrong. But you, you use that word because you're saying that 
the word agile and how you use that word, what you mean by that word is a differentiator amongst people, right? So if one person says it and they mean this, then they're in this sort of this sort of group. And and if uh, if people say it this way and mean it a different way, that they're in, in a different sort of group. And that's the way I kind of read into uh, the article that, that Dave wrote was that, well, not necessarily that, that he sees it as this, but that he sees that the word has been misused to an extreme. And so while there's value in the word in terms of describing a thing, that the value has become significantly derailed by the fact that all of these people have tried to turn it into something that it's not, turn it into some sort of product that it was never intended to be and is not even close to being that thing because all you did was take this book or this blueprint roadmap of how to do something uh, with software and you just stamped the word agile on it and then rolled it out. You know, it's the same old junk that you had before. Yeah. You just put a different brand on it and rolled it all back out and that it was this sort of thing that has watered down the the brand that was agile or the word uh, agile in our context. Oh, and like, I, like Scrum. Yeah, and I and I agree with him totally that that has in fact happened. That from the moment, as soon as I don't, I never remember whose line it is. If it's Drucker's or somebody else, but as soon as you as soon as you label it, then somebody wants to buy it. Right. There's no question that that's happened. There's no question that a lot of people interpret the word agile in a way that doesn't match what we intended and i say we not because i was there in snowbird but because i you know i i was there in the beginning so i mean i i i learned directly from the people who were at snowbird you know i i've been thinking about this a long time i've been practicing this way for a long time so i'm not going to claim that i know what's in their heads but as much as anyone can know i think i know fairly well what they were aiming at so all that's to say yes it's is Yes, there are a whole bunch of people who are interpreting Agile in a way that's not that. I really don't see how the word is the problem. What Dave is describing will happen to every word, no matter which word it is, no matter when we use it. And switching from Agile to Agility, it's a nice language trick, and it will probably help in some situations with some people. But again, this what I got was an overwhelming attitude of not, I'm done with the word Agile, but rather, you should be done with the word Agile too. And uh, I'm not done with the word Agile. I, it has some value for me, and uh, and I, I'd like the opportunity to keep using it if that's okay with him. Uh, <laughs> and that, you know, and, and again, I, I wish that Dave and I could be at a conference together so that I could talk to him directly about this, because I do not want your listeners to get the impression that I'm angry at him or to get the impression that I'm trying to put on some air of superiority or any of that nonsense. I'm just confused and annoyed, but that's, you know, people we like, people we respect do things that surprise us all the time, and this is just one. So I feel like Dave's article was a little bit of a of a response to Dave feeling kind of jaded over the whole marketing engine that got a hold of Agile and kind oh, yeah. of just stamped it all over everything. And I, I think your response is a, I, I'm kind of jaded over you, saying that just because somebody else screwed it up doesn't mean that it's not still good. And, that sounds I, about right. I get that every every day. Like all all of my customers, and you talk about people interpreting Agile wrong, and I find that often it's that they didn't interpret it at all. They heard 
Agile does good things for your company and it allows you to make a better product. And they went, oh, we're going to do that. Oh, yeah, give me 100. I don't know what it is, but we're just going to do it. And we're yeah. not going to change anything of the way we do. Oh, yeah. Um, and I get a lot of iterative planning. So, like, we're going to be agile about this. We're going to do this plan. And then we're going to talk about this plan. And then I'm going to tell you, ah, I don't really like it. Uh, the timeline's too long. Whatever. And we're going we're gonna to iterate over this plan for a long time. And we're going to agilely plan. And then we're going to give it to the developers. And everything's going to be great. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not agile. That's waterfall. Right. Well, and so you, you just used a phrase there that I think is at the center of the problem here. That's not agile. I'm not a big fan of that. That idea at all, and we'll, I, I want to put a pin in that for a second, just because I'm with you that it, it, as you say, people, yes, two years ago, when uh, conference organizers started inexplicably inviting me to give keynotes at conferences, which is a huge milestone for any consultant and speaker, I, all of a sudden, you know, of course, I had to invent something to say. And, uh, and I didn't want it to be more of the same dry technical stuff that I kind of got used to doing as a, a stage speaker. And that was where I uh, got the idea for... At first, I kind of thought, well, keynote, maybe we want to do a nice look back at things. And I want to take advantage of the fact that I've been doing this stuff for a while. So I wrote and presented The Extreme Decade, which is essentially my fond look back at extreme programming and and how I got involved in the Agile community, and how this post-Agile thing that everyone seems to be talking about now is pretty soon just going to wrap back around to extreme programming, uh, as is inevitable. And then XP will be in vogue again for another five or six years, and then people will find it too difficult, and they'll wrap back around. And then suddenly Scrum will become more popular again, and it'll just keep going in cycles and cycles. After that, the next keynote was the next decade, which is where should we go from here? And the big message in there, the, the, the part that seems to get the most laughs is when I put up a slide that shows a whole bunch of handbags, which are the various fashion lines of all the Agilists. So you have the David Anderson fashion line and the Ron Jeffries, Chet Hendrickson fashion line and the Josh Karajewski fashion line, which, of course, is the very practical, safe kind of handbag <laughs> you have. You have the Bob Martin fashion line, the Diana Larson fashion line, and so on. And these are all my, you know, my colleagues and friends who all have their own very specific take on part of being agile. But what they all have in common is the way enterprises in particular have tended to interpret what they're saying is to treat the ideas, whether it's retrospectives or test-driven development or incremental planning, as fashion accessories, that it's more important to them to be seen doing agile things than it is to actually derive any of the benefits that we think they would get from really doing agile things. And so it's this notion of agile as a fashion accessory that now, you know, all the cool people now were doing agile. And so in order to be cool, I had to be seen doing agile. But of course, I want to be cool without putting in much effort. And I want to be hip without really thinking about, without doing any soul searching. And so that, I imagine, is what people have been doing for a lot of the, a lot of people have been doing for the last 10 years, which is, as you point out, Amos, trying to figure out how can I make what we do look agile so that I can be doing what my friends on the golf course are doing or what my cool friends down at the club are doing. 
but the bottom line for me is that that is true of every word that has ever been used to label any kind of movement, that you have the people who give birth to the movement, you have the second wave of people who are perhaps the most earnest students of the new movement, and then the third wave includes all the people who want to treat it like a fashion. And that's kind of really where I'm coming from, is that, you know, folks, this is true of every word that's ever been used to describe every movement. This shouldn't surprise anyone. And so... The problem isn't the word. I, I, you know, it's, for me, it's really just that simple. The word is not the problem. The problem is a whole hell of a lot more complicated than that. And, and for us to make the word the center of the problem, I think, is a little weak. And so leave the word to those of us who care to use it and back away quietly. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> just back away quietly, leave the word, you know. If you want to chuckle at us idiots for continuing to use the word agile in our marketing material and, you know, look at us with pity or with derision, I'm cool with that. But don't take food out of my mouth, brother. Kind of draw the line. I I just want people to use it in a way that's not just marketing. You know, like to help build the agile brand in like that this is this is good stuff and we do good stuff and there there's just so much watering down of we just put agile on it because it sells more and it doesn't really help anybody. So as soon as, we, as soon as we gave it a word though, people were going to use it for cynic. I mean, when I say marketing, it's not necessarily cynical marketing, right? Marketing is just the act of figuring out who you can help and helping them find you. You know, marketing doesn't have to be cynical and. As soon as you try to market something, other people are going to try to market it cynically. And again, I like to see that as a sign of success, not as a sign of failure. That means that people see Agile as an idea worth stealing, as a name worth co-opting, worth transmuting, mutilating, however you want to put it. It doesn't matter. It's a sign of success, not a sign of failure. I think there's also another dimension here that we're kind of missing, which is the fact that I think managers look at, they see this this great thing and they, they read articles in magazines about Agile and they say, oh, you know, this would be a really great benefit to our company. We should do this. They don't really understand it, but they're going to try to push it and they honestly do want those benefits and they want their company to do this, but... They don't know how to hand it over. They don't, they're not experts themselves. And so either they're going to hire some consultant to come in and try to teach them in two weeks or something to that effect, as opposed to really understanding what Agile is, is supposed to be about. And I think it's not because they're being cynical about it. They're trying. They're doing their best, but they just don't really understand it to begin with. And I think that's kind of what our show is helping to, to get around. I think there's a little bit of a loss of, I'm going to call it micromanagement because that's how I feel, that they experience and don't know how to overcome that. And not that they're trying to micromanage, that's just what they're used to. So when you come in as a consultant and you tell them, hey, we've got to stop doing this, it's so hard for them to let go that if you're not in their face all the time, then they're not going to change it. And you have a team, let's say you have a team of 10 people. QA, product managers, everybody. There's 10 people there. It takes one developer on that team to be okay with being micromanaged and to not follow along to kind of destroy any progress that you've had. So if you have one guy that will come in and say, 
oh yeah, we can plan this whole thing out six months in advance and I'll commit to this timeline and uh, I know scope won't change and they're they're willing to say these things, that makes that management that's already lived that way for 10 years feel really comfortable where they are. On the other hand, though, Amos, I think that with Agile, and this was this was an example or kind of a, a metaphor that I wanted to, to try and play with here real quick with you guys and say that maybe there's some benefit in going through some of the motions. So I'm a big, heavy guy. I don't work out as much as I should. And certainly my version of working out when I do work out is probably not uh, exactly what professional athletes would do when, when they work out. But isn't there some benefit to be derived from me at least even kind of doing my pretend workout of getting on that treadmill and walking for 40 minutes or whatever that is and kind of going through those motions and kind of maybe building a habit where I'm okay, I'm working out, but I'm not working out at the same level as really great workout people are working out. But so maybe you could argue, hey, you're not really working out, uh, but at least I'm going through some motions. Is there any benefit? So now making a parallel over to the word agile, is there any benefit for companies to kind of start at least going through some of those motions and bastardizing the word and saying, we are agile, we're being agile, at least as a stepping stone. As long as you don't have that developer there feeding you chocolate while you're on the treadmill. Here, eat this piece of pizza, because that's what that one guy is doing when he says, no, it's okay, I'll circumvent the entire team. I, I have to I have to chuckle a little bit here, uh, in part because the parallels to uh, the to health and fitness and eating are something that I'm is going to come pouring out of me at some point. I'll, I'm not sure if it'll be here. I'll put a pin in that too. I want to I want to I think to answer John's question directly. I think it really boils down to your intent, and to go back to the hypothetical person that Lee. Uh, conjured up for us, the the person who reads a couple of articles that have the word Agile in them somewhere, says, gee, these sound like things that could probably help us. I should try to learn more about this, or I'm interested in this. I think as long as the intent to improve is there, then it almost doesn't matter what you try. Uh, it almost doesn't matter whether you try to do something and do a very small part of it. To give you a parallel, I decided... Uh, about a month and a half ago, that maybe now, you know, I've, I've lost all the weight I'm going to lose before I develop some more muscle. Let me try doing something that might help developing some muscle. So I just one morning kind of stupidly got up and did some push-ups and said, oh, how many push-ups can I do? And the answer was five, painfully. So I did my five push-ups and I just thought, well, you know what? I'm going to do as many push-ups as I can every morning for 30 days and see what happens. So I did that. And by the 30th day, I could do 25 push-ups, although the last five or six were probably pretty stressful. And part of that probably has to do with the fact that my form in doing push-ups is not very good. I haven't figured out how to do push-ups and breathe properly. So, of course, I'm, you know, the last seven or eight of them, I'm trying to just run through them real quick so that I can make it to 25. And I thought, well, at the end of 30 days, either this is helping or it's not. Either I feel better or I don't, and then we'll figure out what happens from there. Now, a funny thing happened. Uh, the first thing that happened was I realized, hey, I went from five push-ups to 25 uh, in the space of 30 days. That's, you know, wow, my productivity went up by 400%. That's, uh, as a numbers person, that, that made me feel some kind of impressed for some value of impressed. But another thing happened that I really didn't feel that much of a difference. I liked the fact that I could do 25 push-ups, but I kind of got stuck. 
I kind of plateaued and, and couldn't figure out how to get to 30. My body just kind of stopped. And that's what made me think, okay, maybe there's something about my breathing that's not good. Maybe there's something about my literal push-up technique. But then I just kind of realized, you know, I'm not sure this is really making a big difference. I mean, it's good to know that I can do 25 push-ups now. I'm not sure what value it has in general. I'm not sure that doing 25 push-ups every day is really going to lead to developing the kind of muscle that's going to help burn more fat. So I'll just stop here. Now, I've done the push-ups in the morning, I think, twice in the past three weeks. Everything is cool. Everything is fine. I have this vague idea now that I could do push-ups if I could figure out how to do that effectively and tie that to some real result that matters to me. And if in two years I read some article that gives me the, where the final piece of the puzzle clicks in and I say, yeah, now I, can, now I see how I'm going to be able to use push-ups to achieve a real goal that matters to me, I'll probably find it easy to go back and do that. And probably by then I'll be starting again at five and working my way back up to 25. And this time it might only take me two weeks instead of a month. But just trying it and knowing that I could do it was kind of useful information. And so it could be exactly the same way with writing tests first or with writing down the list of all the outstanding work that I think that I've already committed to doing and then trying to blast through that backlog of commitments to get it back down to zero or any other thing that we might do that we think is going to help us. I don't think it matters what we actually try to do as long as we have the intent to improve something. Which is why when somebody writes me an email, picks up the phone, nobody does that anymore, and, and contacts me for help, one of the first things that I want to do is understand what results do you expect from the thing that you're asking me to do? Because they're not asking me for blanket help. They're, they're contacting me because they think they want training, because they think they want coaching, and that's how they found me, right? They put some words into their favorite search engine, found me, but they have in mind some solution that they think is going to help them. And the first thing I want to do is understand what results they think they're going to get. And as long as, as long as I see the intent to improve something in particular, then I have hope that no matter what they do, that they're going to get something valuable out of it, even if it doesn't work, even if it doesn't transform them in the way they hoped. Whether it's trying to work incrementally, whether it's trying to work more closely with their customers, whatever it is. And so I think the person who picks up the magazine and, and reads about our, uh, Agile and tries to buy some help, as long as the intent to actually improve is there, they'll find a way forward, and I, and I want to help them. And Agile's just one of the, it's a compartment in my toolkit that I can draw some tools out of to help them out. I think that a lot of people seem to, uh, to misunderstand Agile in the way of practices. And we keep hammering on the fact that there are no Agile practices. It's despite the fact that the Agile Manifesto will, has a link to like 12 practices that it lists. For us, at least, Agile is more of an attitude than a, a set of things you do. And there are a few, like uh, we had an interview with uh, Woody Zuell just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and he kind of expressed that same sort of attitude that it's really not about what you do as long as what you're trying to do is improve the whole time, then you'll get there and you'll figure out what works for you. There's a whole bunch of these similar viewpoints. The years and years ago, uh, when we were trying to figure out what the hell XP is, eventually we kind of settled on a couple of ideas. One of them came from Ron Jeffries, which is, you know, XP is what we do once we've mastered the basics. So once we've got 
the 12 XP practices under our fingers. Once we feel comfortable doing them and they're second nature to us, then we know when to do them, when not to do them. We know how far down to push the gas pedal, when to ease up. We have a, a more intimate understanding of what's likely to help us in any given situation. And for us, that's XP. Not the practices, not the principles, not the values, but sort of what you do once you've figured out the basics. I always like that idea. The idea that, and that, that, I think that dovetails with the idea that of uh, an attitude or a mindset or a, a philosophy. Of course, the big problem is that when we tell people, you know, XP is really a, a mindset and, a, and an attitude and a philosophy, 97% of our market has gone to sleep. And the 2% of the market has decided that I'm a lunatic. Now, the good news is that the 1% left over are the people that I'm probably going to work well with. So in a way, it kind of does its job. And that's a little <laughs> bit of that shibboleth that I was talking about in the article. But, but no, truthfully, for us to say it's a mindset is fine among ourselves as practitioners in it. But that is not a message that most people out there are ready to hear. It's just not going to help them. We still need to give them some things to try. We need to give them some way of... I mean, if nothing else, if we give them something to try and they say, oh, there's no earthly way that this could possibly work in in my context, that's really, really valuable information about what problems, what obstacles are in their way. Now we can have a real discussion about what might help. And that's, I think, where the practices are useful. I don't need to have a long conversation with someone. They can just read an article that says, hey, test-first programming is not a bad idea. Let's wind back the clock to 1998 for a second. Test-first programming is a good idea. Well, I can try first test-first programming and get a rough idea what it feels like. That's like me doing the push-ups and seeing what it does. And I can do it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. And either it's a complete disaster, in which case I never look at it again, and, and, you know, maybe that's a shame. Or I get this vague inkling that this might help me, but I need to do some more research. Or I can start to see some situations where this is bound to be a disaster. I need someone with experience to help me navigate those waters. So, I, you know, I think there are agile practices. I think there are plenty of them. I think XP has contributed more of them than any other school of agile thought has. And I think part of the intent was, you know, here are some things that we think need practicing. And the better you get at doing these things, the better you are at thinking about what you need to do next. The more information you have about cause and effect, if we change this way we work, then that result happens. And then I can more easily and perhaps more accurately judge well, what do I need in this particular situation here? You know, I've got these people and this project and these constraints. Now is a good time to do, you know, we have to do pairing now more than ever because of these three reasons, but testing isn't as important as it would be in a vacuum. As long as the intent is what people are really thinking about while they're doing those practices, it seems to me that 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 makes sense. Otherwise, it sounds kind of like what Dave was complaining about, we've caused ourselves. Have we caused it ourselves or is it, again, just another sign of success? So uh, here's how how I kind of... Didn't say it. it was bad. Well, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yes. Uh, and I, and again, this is one of those things that I've been saying for years and years and years. Without mindfulness, the practice is useless. 
all you're doing is buying another process to follow. And so about a year and a half ago, I bought the domain nomoreagilepractice.com, no more and I put up a little page there that I hope was going to be some other way that people would find me. And like 18 people visited it in six months, so I didn't bother renewing the domain. <laughs> but the idea behind that was if you're hoping to buy 63 pounds of Agile so that you can have a new set of rules to follow, I'm afraid that's not likely to work for you except by pure chance. Well, uh, though, I like, if I have a new developer, I will often give them a set of rules. Here, yes. Here's your rules, and you follow these rules, and you don't step out of this, and you you stay here until you learn the mindset that we talked about. So it's like we're right. giving them a, a toolbox so that they can follow the rules until they realize why they shouldn't follow the rules. And, and there are some people who really, really don't like that way of approaching learning. And I, I don't mind it. I think that uh, ingraining habits through practice uh, works well for me. And, and, and I, I really want to take a moment to hammer this point home. Ingraining habits through regular practice works well for me. How do I know this? Because I've tried a bunch of different ways to change my behavior, and this is the one that seems to have had the best results for me. It's the one that has helped me best sustain change. It is a huge leap from there to shuhari is the way to go. And this is what bothers me the most these days about all these discussions. And we've even said it a few times here tonight that, you know, Agile is about this and it's not about that. And I would like to get rid of this whole discussion altogether. I see Agile this way. I interpret it this way. I see this part's this way. I see this value in this part and less value in that part. Here are situations in which I would recommend this, and here are situations in which I would recommend against the same thing. I don't care anymore what Agile's about and not about. I'm so sick of this discussion. It's boring. I'd like to end it once and for all. Why don't we talk about instead how I see things here are the reasons I see things my way. You tell me why you see things another way. Then, you know, I, I, it's a cheesy film, but there's a great line from the film 2010. This is, you know, I seem to recall a process by which I ask you questions and you give me answers and you ask questions and I give you answers and that's the way we learn things. I think I read that in a manual somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> But notice that it's I ask you questions because I want to understand your point of view, and you ask me questions because you want to understand my point of view, and that's how we figure things out together. Not I tell you what, not I argue what it's about, and you argue instead that it's about something else, and we butt heads for three hours. And that's just, I mean, that's all I've been, that's what I've been living now for the past several weeks. Uh, more about the no estimate stuff than about the, you know, Agile is dead stuff, but the two definitely dovetail. It's, um, it, it's silly that we allow ourselves to get drawn into these, these debates over the semantics of words when what we should really be focusing on, JB, as you mentioned, is what's at the heart of the matter, what, what we can do to be better, what we can do to be better at developing software and ways to go about that rather than just arguing that agile means this or no estimates means that. Words need meaning. I mean, it, it, it's an amazing thing that we do where we make sounds or scratches and somehow communicate telepathically through this medium of either making air vibrate or scratching 
you know, blood on leather. It's <laughs> that we can do this is amazing. And that it's possible for you to understand what I'm thinking by decoding these symbols in a purely organic, ongoing negotiation of the meanings of things. I can't believe that this is at all possible. It depends, however, on one key thing, and that is that we have to have some fundamental agreement on what these symbols mean. And if I just switch to French right now, I'm going to lose a bunch of y'all, I assume. You lose me. Uh, so, so, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> right. So it's just semantics. Semantics means meaning. Meaning is kind of important. Without meaning, there's no way for us to share what each other are thinking with each other. We can't. I can't share what I'm thinking with you without having some agreement on what the what the meaning is of the sounds coming out of my mouth. You'll notice that I've even committed to sin myself. What the meaning is. I need some way of knowing that when I say a word. The picture in your head and the picture in my head are going to be close enough that we can make progress in having a discussion. <laughs> so, without some minimum standard of, sta- of of meaning, without some minimum standard of standard of meaning, we can't communicate with each other at all. Okay. So, I, the words matter, the meaning matters, but that said, the meaning of everything is up for negotiation all the time. And I, I would love for more of us to come at communication from that point of view that we are where I'm trying to make the picture in my head match the picture in your head as much as I possibly can. That's the only reason for me to communicate anything to you at all. Common understanding, common viewpoint, not agreement, common understanding that you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And to that extent, the meanings of the words matter. But why we use a word certain way is always going to be up to interpretation. And I would much rather try to figure out how what you're saying can make sense than to try to create divisions based on differences in how we interpret these words. And when we get into arguments about what Agile is, what Scrum is, what XP is, what No Estimates is, we divide each other more than we unite each other. As corny as that sounds, I believe that that's what we do. And I just, I'm tired of it. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm out. I think the hard <laughs> part is most of the people doing the arguing are people who care. And they're arguing from a point of passion. And it's, yes. it's hard when you're in that passionate mode to take a step back and be like, I just need to, I just need to ask Tice what the hell he really means. <laughs> Well, so isn't it wonderful that we communicate with each other so much that we have such opportunities to practice? And again, a basic awareness of the problem, I think, and intent to improve the way we communicate makes a huge difference. When I first heard about the Satir interaction model, geez, I don't even know, a decade ago, it's an incredibly nerdy thing to do to have a four-step process for debugging interactions with people. But it's fantastic. And it was a habit that I practiced. It felt like mechanical nonsense. And then it started working. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. This is, and it's really transformed the way I communicate with people. And then a few years later, I read about E-prime. Hey, you know, if I stop using the verb to be, then I can't label stuff. And if I can't label stuff, maybe I'll be less judgy. I'm going to give that a try. And, you know, here we are now seven years later, 
And people who have known me a long time will tell you that I, I communicate with a hell of a lot less judgment than I used to. So, you know, where did this all come from? I noticed a problem in the way things were working for me. I found, I stumbled across some technique that might help me make that better. Uh, it kind of made sense to try. I tried it and it stuck. And the stuff that, that I tried that, that didn't seem to work hasn't stuck. And I've forgotten it all by now. And the stuff that has helped has stuck. And that's what I teach other people. But I, you know, that's, that's part of what I mean by if the intent is there, then it almost doesn't matter what rules you follow. You're going to find rules that are going to help you. And it just so happens that what I tend to teach people is what's worked for me. And what's worked for me, a lot of what's worked for me has come from the Agile community. And I find it awfully convenient to be able to use the word Agile to label that so that other people have a rough idea what I'm talking about without my having to explain it from first principles every time. You know, there's the story of the mathematician J.J. Sylvester, who was a terrible professor because he could never remember theorems. So he would routinely start talking about something in class and re reprove it from first principles. But of course, that's awfully hard to do. And so then there, you get kind of hand wavy and he would find out a week later that the proof that he gave the previous week was wrong and blah, blah, blah. And so as much as he was a, a, an accomplished mathematician, he was a terrible teacher because he tried to do everything from first principles over and over over again. I don't have energy for that. I'm too old for that. There's, there's gray in this beard for a reason. And so I, I don't mind negotiating the meanings of these words. Just don't try to take them from me. I'm not done with them yet. <laughs> I have to say, JB, as you were uh, discussing sharing of uh, communicating images and thoughts and how amazing that was, I was reminded of a scene from the movie IQ where mm -hmm. Tim Robbins is uh, is walking and playing the mechanic, uh, walking beside Albert Einstein, played by Walter Matthau, and uh, Einstein says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Tim Robbins says, what are the odds of that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I, absolutely. And, and, and nice reference. I, 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 don't remember, I don't even remember seeing that film. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have seen it. Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's... A lot of what we try to do in our work boils down to getting the picture in someone else's head to match closer to the picture in our head. That's what behavior-driven development is. I use it as a technique to try to find differences in what I think we should be building and what you think we should be building. It seems to lie at the heart of why we make communication you know, a, a central part of what we do. The more we let differences linger in, what we, in what's in our heads... Uh, the less likely we are to produce a product that makes people happy. And so whatever we can do to make it easier to check, not only to transmit information, but to check, you know, I, I need ways to check on what you're, what you're thinking. I need to know how to ask you good questions. I need to know how to phrase the questions in a way that will make you feel comfortable telling me what you're thinking. I need to build trust so that you feel comfortable telling me the truth. Uh, all these things go hand in hand, and it's yeah. Otherwise, we're just we're just walking around doing our own thing, and and the only way we ever actually succeed is by random chance. I think we can do better than that. So that I think that's probably one of the reasons why the, the debate over the word is is important to me. You know, yes, there's the the marketing benefit from having a word with an established brand and meaning. And even using a word that's perhaps understood differently by a large 
segment of the population has its marketing value too, as we pointed out near the top, as a, a way of qualifying or let's say unqualifying potential clients. But more to the point, I think that just it's changing the word is not going to make the situation any better. I think what makes the situation better is talking more candidly about what we mean and being willing to share more about what we mean and talking more about the significance of the words rather than the meaning of the words. You know, one of the things that drives me nuts about and this is more maybe about the no estimate stuff that's going on now, but it, it, it reminds me of the same XP agile lean scrum FDD arguments that or DSDM arguments that we had 10 years ago. It's kind of why the snowbird meeting happened in the first place, right? We're a hell of a lot more similar than we are different. Let's focus on the similarities in our agreements. And yeah, you know what? You punch and kick this way and I punch and kick that way, but we're still all doing Kung Fu. Calm down. Let's celebrate what we do. This what we do that's similar. Let's celebrate our agreements. Let's build on that. Let's encourage more people to come to the table and learn from us because we know we have good things to teach them. As opposed to building all these dividing lines, presenting an image that we are some you know chaotic bunch of crazy people who argue all day long about how many. Angels can dance on the head of a pin, and that's not solving any real problems. All that's doing is making it easy for the cynical marketers to swoop in and try to cash in on our goodwill. And that all that does is devalue our work. Our work. I don't think it does any anything good. It devalues our work. It presents us as lunatics instead of as people who can really help. And I really think I can help people. And I'd like the opportunity to help people. And, you know, otherwise I would just sit at that table back there and bang out code all day. I, I'm, as I said, I'm too old for that. One of, one of the things you, you said earlier, JB, was that the mere fact that we're having this conversation is a message that the, the industry has kind of arrived. This is popularized now. So people are, are putting weird spins on it and people are trying to sell it. And I think that's okay. I think it's it really is a sign that we've made it with this that it's it is popular and it is in a lot of use and we need to stop worrying so much about the word we need to stop worrying so much about the people that are are doing bad things with the word or that are selling bad products and bad services behind that word and I think it it becomes important for people like yourself JB and to some extent us here on this podcast, to have these sort of visceral reactions to things that are said and done so that we can kind of continue to try and carry the banner, if you will. Uh, I'm absolutely with you. I don't know who said it first, but I know it as Reggie Jackson, right? They don't boo nobodies. So if you've got their attention, no matter whether it's good or bad attention, if you've got their attention, you must be doing something right. And yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I the true snake oil salespeople are going to congregate anywhere they think there's a market, and the market is going to form around ideas that have some legs. Yeah, you can create markets out of nothing, but that's more work than most of us are willing to do. Typically, if a market has appeared, it's because there's something to what we're doing, and we've I think we've more than proven that there's something to what we're doing. Unfortunately, we've reached the point where we're fighting against some incredibly fundamental problems like the profit motive, like 
the Western disease of unchecked sustained growth, like the, the balance between individual success and teams and group success or, or communal success. These are pretty deep, fundamental cultural issues. And, you know, we're just, we're saying, hey, well, you know, here's a bunch of us who have, we've kind of got our stuff together. We figured out how to be good team players. We figured out how to care about results over everything else. So now we're going to go in and we're going to teach you guys to do exactly the same thing. Never mind that it's taken us 10 years to get from where we were to where we are now. Uh, we're going to figure out how to do it for you uh, in four days for the low, low price of $10,000. Uh, <laughs> not a real rate, by the way. Though it could be. It, it, well, <laughs> if you put enough, if you put enough downward pressure on prices, it could be certainly. Uh, and if you don't care, and if you don't care what you pay for, you can certainly, you can certainly get that too. But, uh, but no, really, it's. I really think we need to again. I'll take it one step further. I don't mind if you want to have these arguments. I don't mind if you want to have these deep discussions till five a.m. at the bar about. The meaning of is. That's cool with me. I don't mind at all. Here's what I'd like to do, though. When you've got that, I'd like to understand why it matters to you so much. Because there's a very good chance that if I ask you two or three whys, some would say up to five, there's a very good chance that I'm going to get to something that helps us move forward. And I have found that the less time I spend labeling stuff and the more time I talk about how I feel, what I see, how I interpret, the sooner those discussions move forward and the sooner those discussions feel helpful. The sooner you move from your side of the table over to my side of the table or I move to your side of the table and we have a discussion together that helps us move forward, that helps us achieve something. And so... You know, I I don't feel the need to stop arguing about this stuff. I feel the need to stop telling other people what they need to do. I am happy to say, look, when you're ready to ask someone for help in making things better in your life, at home, at work, whatever, I've got a bag of tricks. I've got a story to tell about where, you know, the ditch I was in 15 years ago and how much better my life is now. Some of that's going to help you. A lot of it won't. And if you want help trying to figure some of that stuff out, I got the time. And it's really that simple for me. And if words like XP, Agile, Scrum, test-driven development, behavior-driven development, whatever, help people find me to have those discussions then I'm going to use those words and squeeze everything I can out of them until nobody anymore understands what the hell Agile is. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I have the strong feeling that I'm going to be way out of my working life and maybe even dead before that day comes anyway. JB, we're really glad that you have the time. We, we're glad that you've given us the time here on the show tonight. If people want to reach out to you, where can they go to get in touch with you? Well, if they want to do some reading, then they can go to jbrains.ca. Uh, they can also go to blog.thecodewhisperer.com if you're more interested in programming, design kinds of stuff. And uh, the link that you mentioned off the top of the show, help.jbrains.ca, is just a really simple form that says, you have some questions, I want to give you some answers. So you can consider that a basic contact form. Tell me what's happening. Tell me how you think I might be able to help. 
and let's figure out how to get started. Uh, I'm also planning to start sometime in the next month or so some short sessions that I affectionately call The Doctor Is In. Thank you for to Charles Schultz for giving me the idea for that. Advice is five cents. Uh, you'll be able to join me on a, a hangout, ask me some questions. I'll try to give you some superficial but helpful answers. And I'd like to do that uh, semi-regularly to just kind of give people a chance to tell me what's bugging them and, you know, amplify some of the good work that people like you do in these podcasts uh, and and give people a chance to, to get a feel for what kind of help might help them. That's great. And I take comfort in knowing that we have evangelists like you and uh, many of the other bloggers, people that you mentioned tonight out there in the community helping move us forward with our Agile thinking. So thank you for that. You're most welcome. That's very kind of you to say. This week's Hottest Picks. All right, we're going to do our picks tonight. And Amos, you're up first. All right, so today I got a quote of something I said handed back to me as an argument for something I said today that I was wrong um, because they heard it from an author. Uh, so I've decided that I, I got really totally lost. I got totally lost in that explanation. Uh, well, okay. I don't know what any of that meant. I was in a meeting today. Yeah. And I said something and somebody argued back with me and they said, well, so-and-so said this and they quoted something that was actually that author quoting something that I had said. All right. So they were quoting me back to me as an argument against me. If that makes sense. Now it does. So, so I've decided that in order to get people to listen to me, I probably should just go write a book. Because once I write a book, I can quote anybody, and it'll make sense. And, and I'll get the credit for it. So um, actually, I've kind of wanted to write a book for a long time. So I found softcover.io the other day. It's pretty cool. It's a, a command line tool to build a book using Markdown and LaTeX kind of all jammed together. So you can use the power of tech when you need it, but most of the time you don't. You just use Markdown. And it will publish in Mobi, EPUB, PDF, HTML, and you get to keep 90% of the proceeds, plus you're the copyright holder completely. You don't have to sell your rights to some publisher. They just put it up there available, and you can publish it under someone else too if you want to or take it off their site at any time. They, they basically just charge you for hosting. And then... My second pick is just that it was really nice to start out the podcast today and not hear Tice say, what do you want to improve today, John? <laughs> um, I, I love Tice, but... Uh, You're so mean love, to him. I know. I love you, Tice. All right, Amos. Good picks. I'll do, I'll do my picks next. So uh, I think that it's important for developers to work on communication skills, keep their skills up to date, and just get involved. So my pick is Meetup. Go out, find a meetup near you, get involved in something. Doesn't matter what it is, go have fun. Lee, what are your picks tonight? Well, I actually have two. The first one is one that I is a YouTube channel that I love to watch with my kids because uh, it's, it's this guy named Grant Thompson. He goes by the King of Random, basically because he just pulls out just all kinds of random stuff. And it's a great little set of, uh, of videos that he constantly pulls out. It's kind of like Mythbusters meets your kitchen. Because he'll have life hacks, a bunch of geeky mad science stuff, how to freeze water instantly, for example. My kids loved that one. It was uh, it was a really cool uh, little site. The other one, other one that I wanted uh, to mention was one I thought was 
excellent, and it was actually contributed to the This Agile Life community up on Google Plus by Vinny De Silva, and it's at lafable.com. It's this great little April Fool's joke kind of a thing called uh, Lafable is is an acronym for Large Agile Framework Appropriate for Big Lumbering Enterprises. I thought it was laughable. <laughs> I think it is supposed. I read it's this Lafable myself, but I'm pretty sure it's laughable. Maybe it's maybe it's that uh, that French coming out. The French again, yeah. That's, a, that's the, the Canadian yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> so there's a great little diagram up there that I thought was pretty funny. Great, good picks, Lee, and uh, thanks to Vinny for uh, putting that in the community for us. Okay, JB, as our honored guest tonight, you get the the honors and the last picks on the show. So I just want to give a, a quick uh, mention to Lean Pub which is uh, similar to soft cover in a lot of ways, uh, but are Canadian. So I just thought I wanted to uh, to mention them, even though they do offer royalties in U.S. dollars, which always, always bugs me. Um, but, uh, no, the, 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 the pick that the most recent thing uh, that I ran across that I'm going to try to use as a way to make a small improvement in the way I communicate comes from brainpickings.org uh, and a recent article by uh, Maria Popova uh, entitled How to Criticize with Kindness, uh, philosopher Daniel Dennett on the Four Steps of Arguing Intelligently. So I encourage people to go and, and read. There's a very quick article that includes uh, four really simple steps on how to essentially argue nicely, which as events in the last few weeks in our community have brought back to my consciousness the uh, the need to argue more safely, more nicely, more generously. And so this, along with the things like Jerry Weinberg's Law of Generous Interpretation or the Principle of Charity, as I've learned it's also called, uh, these are all tools that we can put back in our toolbox to to lead us to discussions that move in a a more enjoyable and productive and, and constructive uh, direction. So I, I encourage everyone to take the two minutes it'll take to read that quick article, and, and that'll give you enough enough to figure out whether you want to learn more about that. Awesome. Great picks. J.B. Rainsberger, it's been an honor having you on the program tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to your audience and hope to do it again soon. Well, that would be great. We'll make sure we do that. All right, everyone, that's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.